0: This is a Media Lab Podcast.
1: Oh, man, Kyle, what, why is it so cold? Turn up turn up the heat, man. It's freezing.
0: No, 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 no. It helps me focus. I have to focus. That witch from last week has, has done some sort of hex on me and has made these runes just appear all around the room and I have to decipher them somehow.
1: What? What are you doing to... Uh, decipher the runes. How do you decipher runes?
0: Listen, it's a whole big problem. A-B testing is required. There's footnotes galore. It's, it's, it's a whole big thing. Just rest assured that there is a very clear plot reason why this has to happen. Hmm.
1: Did you uh, open all your cabinet doors just now?
0: Let me just read out this first one that I'm pretty sure is correct, that I have cracked uh, I see Red Pebble? Well, that can't be right. In his own garage, Kyle has built a machine. Cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local Dairy Queen, this monstrosity is now alive and evil. Kyle has convinced his friend Dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films The Machine picks. The ultimate purpose is still unknown, and Kyle could have probably done this himself, but he's not being dragged to hell alone. This This is is Kyle and Dave Dave versus versus the The Machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. The Machine. My name is Kyle. I see dead people. Oh no, I'm Dave.
2: And I'm the machine.
0: This is a podcast where a sentient machine forces us to watch movies in order for it to prevent from initiating the apocalypse. Although, we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. Today, we get to watch the movie The Sixth Sense. You know the accident up there? Yeah. Someone got hurt.
2: They did? A lady. A lady. She broke her neck. Oh my god, but you can see her? Yes. Where is she? Standing next to my window.
0: Do you ever talk to your mom about how things are?
1: I don't tell her things. Why not? Because she doesn't look at me like everybody else, and I don't want her to. I don't want her to know. Know what? I see dead people walking around
0: like regular people. I don't see anything. Are you sure they're there? Dave, I would find it remarkable if you didn't have a relationship with this movie, you know, because you did exist in the 1990s. But uh, what is your relationship with this movie.
1: Wow. Uh yeah, I have uh, I I loved this I loved this movie. When it came out, it was one of those movies uh, where you leave the theater with your mouth agape, as we used to say in the olden times. Yeah, the twists, the turns, and I think there's a reason why M Night Shyamalan became a household name in a sense. I mean, this movie uh, built uh, like so many movies we watched this year built some genre-defining uh, genre-defining moments. Fascinating.
0: Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that, about some of the movies that we've already watched here this season. Like, you have The Matrix, which was like this huge, like, cultural zeitgeist movie and really influenced science fiction and really action filmmaking going forward. Red Pill, Blue Pill became, you know, just part of the conversation. We have Fight Club, you know, rule number 1, you don't talk about Fight Club, and then you have The Sixth Sense, which yes became super famous because of the twist that happens at the end, but I See Dead People is still something people quote.
1: We also had uh, Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, which became the trope that uh, Star Wars was no longer going to be a reliable franchise.
2: And Still Crazy was a film that was released supposedly.
0: I can't believe how in 1999 alone there was literally at least those three, and I'm sure there's probably even more that are out there that really just changed the culture.
1: Yeah, it's, it's pretty uh, pretty fascinating. And I think you brought up in a previous episode that this was the beginning of actually talented child actors, which yes. uh, you know I, I've been thinking about since you said that, and uh, I just watched Enola Holmes on uh, Netflix. And then I just saw- Do you get paid by Netflix? uh, Netflix, get us some, although none of these, like very few of these have been on Netflix. So Netflix, we don't need your money because it doesn't give us anything uh, of value. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I just saw her on, uh, I don't know, Jimmy Fallon or something, and she's all grown up. And I feel like she might be another, actually, you know what? Natalie Portman probably is the start of talented child actors.
0: I mean, there definitely were some throughout the years, right? Like you can go back in time and have like, Tatum O'Neill won uh, a best support or yeah, best supporting actress for *Paper Moon* in the seventies. Oh my gosh, what's her name for *The Piano*? Had won just a few years before this. She had become rogue in the *Expensive*. Uh, oh right, films. Anna Paquin. Anna Paquin. Right, right. If it wasn't the start, it was at the beginning here, at the very least, of like talented child actors, like to to the extent now where if it- there's a Bad child performance that is what sticks out like the good performances don't really stick out and I think part of that is because You know as as more and more people want to go into the acting profession You basically have like acting coaches that will start teaching your kid at like two or three years old now So it's like they've already been in like dance and tap and voice lessons from the time that they could barely walk So that when they do become six or seven, they're all almost like kind of like mini pros
1: that was my big mistake is uh, I didn't start tapping yeah. yeah, should have been tapping the whole time.
0: <laughs> you should have gotten your son. Start tapping, tap a tap. Oh, he tap-a. taps. No, he doesn't
1: tap. I think too. We talked just quickly about uh, just a just to stress this point. I don't know why. It has nothing to do with anything. But uh, yeah. about how casting gets to change and put reasonably mm-hmm. uh, age appropriate actors for these coming of age films instead of watching nine hundred two and oh, and everyone's forty. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Which is now te- true. The teen shows
0: up. And, yeah, well, yeah, it's funny. I mean, it's comedy yeah. the, the teens. I mean, even today, I guess that that still kind of happens on TV. But yeah, it's, especially in the nineties, where your teen shows are filled with people in, at best, their mid twenties, but probably early thirties, is what they were when they were hey, being bro. a teenager. Yeah,
1: are you smoking the reefer? No, that's not. That's not correct.
0: Yeah, with with their receding hairlines. <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean that basically describes this podcast.
0: So this is a. Bonkers anecdote I'm about to tell you, okay? Because <laughs> talking about Reefer, I don't know if my dad was on something or what was going on in the backstory to this. All I know is that I have a very concrete remembrance of how I watched The Sixth Sense for the very first time. I woke up on a Saturday morning with my dad laughing hysterically. He had been working a night shift and had somehow rented two movies when he came back. Uh, to to the house. One of them was the movie Fargo, which had come out a couple of years before this, and the second one was the Sixth Sense. He was like, both people people at work have told me I have to watch both of these films. But he says like the Sixth Sense, or sorry, the uh, Fargo is very much an R rated movie, and I was going to watch it first just to see. His, but I have to show you this scene. I have to show you this scene, and he showed me the wood chipper scene. And, like, laughed hysterically. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, that was my first introduction to Fargo, number one, was just out of context completely, the woodchipper scene. And he's like, let's go watch this movie. And then we watched The Sixth Sense. Wow. (laughs) So, I watched The Sixth Sense basically right after I saw the woodchipper scene of Fargo, watched The Sixth Sense, mind blown, loved the movie, thought it was great. Uh, So, that would have been probably late 1999, early 2000. I don't know what uh, what month or anything that it was, but a very specific moment. Two things. I mean, definitely M. Night Shyamalan became, yes, this like household name right after that. Like the twist was like, no, this big thing. And I think that that hampered his career. It was just this really well-crafted movie. I think Bruce Willis was still a kind of a like a big, big name at that point.
1: He hadn't tarnished his legacy yet.
0: Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then the, we, we had this, like, phenomenal talent in Haley Joel Osment. And I really did think from this movie that I was like, oh, I'm at the beginning of, like, two people's, like, lengthy, amazing careers with, like, M. Night and Haley Joel Osment. It's like, there's nothing but, like, better things that are really going to come from these people. Yeah. that. Didn't and I don't know if that's well. actually happened for yeah, either of them, yeah. unfortunately.
2: Watch out for their comebacks in 2022.
1: Hypothetically, if we had already watched this movie, I brought this point up and... Uh, Helen brought up this interesting thing about child actors where what makes them famous, their like childlike appearance doesn't, yeah. you know, grow up. Because Haley right. Joel Osment kind of actually looks like just a larger version of his child. like In a sense, yeah. we all do, but, you know, he's, uh, he's still got that childlike yeah, thing.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's true. When you see something who are really young, I think Jodie Foster might be the only one who escaped that. To, to a but yeah. even then yeah. that was like teenager she was already a teenager yeah. by that time yeah. she wasn't like a, a small kid so I, I i off the top of my head i can't think of anyone who's like literally been like very small child to like adult and had like this really lengthy career i would love though if it came full circle and like Hilly joel osmond had like this amazing run of like being in prestige films in the very early part of his career because he was like young forrest gump he was in this movie that in his like late, late years, like when he's getting into his 70s or 80s, he's like this grizzled old man then. He starts yes, getting all the these beautiful beard. roles. Yeah. yeah. And that's when he wins his Oscar after like 80 years of being in the business. All right. Well, yeah, let's do this. Let me go and thank some sponsors. And then when we return, we'll be talking about The Sixth Sense. Hey, everyone. Just Kyle breaking into the episode once again to talk to you about some of the uh, people who help make this show continue to go. You know, we've been doing this series on spooky films here in the last few weeks here on this show, so hopefully you're not too scared to help out the show by going and rating and reviewing us on iTunes or whatever podcast player it is that you listen to us in. And honestly, the biggest thing you can do to help us out at this point is that if you like this show, tell other people about it, whether that's on social media, in person, if you're allowed to see people right now. Just tell people. Just Tell people. Anyways, Kyle and Dave versus the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This week we are sponsored by the Alberta Forest Products Association. They have prepared a special message.
2: Alberta's forests matter to all of us. That's why Alberta's forest industry works to keep them sustainable now and for future generations. By planning 200 years ahead, helping control the spread of fire and disease, and planting and nurturing two trees for every one harvested, we keep our forests standing strong. To learn more about how our forests take care of us and how we take care of them, visit loveabforests.com.
0: This episode is also brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. So in Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your energy from. Park Power has low overhead, and chances are you'll save money if you switch. You can find out how much money you could save by visiting parkpower.ca and plugging your numbers into the Alberta Energy Savings Calculator. If you decide to switch, it's easy. Nothing changes about your service, only the price you pay. Learn more at parkpower.ca. All right, Dave. Uh, what do you think uh, in this like non-spoilery section? How uh, how do you view this movie now?
1: I was uh, flabbergasted. Is that a still word that kids use these? I was flabbergasted. Well, the kids don't use it, but you can definitely use it. <laughs> uh, no, I loved it. I was moved. In fact. Uh, at the end, I think I cried. We'll oh. talk about that in the spoiler section. I don't know if it's a spoiler, but uh, I, we forgot to mention at the beginning, Toni Collette was uh, amazing in this movie, too.
0: Yeah, she's so good. Really, my first introduction to Toni Collette, and I think she is completely still, to this day, slept on. I don't think she's... I think besides this role, she's never been nominated for an Academy Award, which is, like, mind-blowing to me.
1: I don't know. What's the Academy? That's your Academy. No, um...
0: That's my Academy. <laughs> uh... Uh, It's only a a few thousand of the peers of the entertainment industry, David. peers.
1: Hey. Hey, Martin. Hey, Marty. uh, You know what I thought was interesting about watching this this time is knowing the spoiler, you have this context where I guess knowing where it's going to go, I appreciated all the subtle nods to the spoiler throughout the film. Um, Mm -hmm. And I remember kind of because I've watched this movie more than once uh, feeling it, but it was, it was great because I haven't watched this movie in a long time. So going through the paces, knowing in the back of the mind, uh, what this is real uh, quote unquote really about was really great. I, I, uh, I thought it gave more dimensionality instead of ruining just instead of ruining the, uh, in the viewing experience, if that's, yeah, if that's the parlance.
0: Yeah. I, I think it's really hard to talk about this movie without discussing the twist that happens because that's what everyone wants to talk about. And, I really think how this movie was framed. I'm sure like the uh, initial audiences who went into this movie who did not know that that was going to happen would have had like just an amazing experience oh, yeah, of I having no context whatsoever. I think after that first weekend, though, like it kind of slipped out. Like, hey, there's a big thing that happens at the end. So people were anticipating it. I think you're right. I think the movie is so smart in that even if you know there's a twist coming up, it doesn't really show its hand and then when, you are, when it's revealed, it's like, oh, like all of that makes sense. It's all perfect sense. What are you talking about? And something we were discussing before we pushed record here today um, is the fact that this twists inside of movies. I mean, have happened for a long time, but I think there's a, an even bigger push for a lot of films, especially in the horror genre, uh, to be like there has to be like this big revelation at the end that's com- completely reframe what you think. And my opinion is that when movies try so hard to be a twist at the end, they somewhat fail becoming just a good movie. And this movie is a good movie with or without that twist at the end. I think it does add some uh, dimensionality to it. I think it's more thematically resonant with that twist. And even M. Night, I think, as he went on, felt that he had to match that or exceed that to his detriment, because sometimes it would have the adverse effect where it's like, oh, well, that kind of makes everything that happened before this a little bit dumb, instead of, like, actually additive to it. But I don't know if you have any additional thoughts on that.
1: Well, I mean, I I agree. I I think what makes this one interesting is the amount of planning and intentionality and that, that perfect measure where his storyboarding and his concept actually translates onto screen. And I think that a lot of other projects, and this may not be reflective of the of the writer or the director. This may actually as well reflect on as we always bag on the, the production companies or the executives who get to greenlight this shit or order uh, resequencing, etc. But it is very difficult, I think, to weave a story visually a without giving something away, but b while giving enough <laughs> of a nod that you have to have a, some type of uh, subliminal or subconscious sense that something's going to change. Because sometimes movies go too dumb the other way, where the twist is kind of like, oh, well, fuck you. You know, like, uh, right. And then you know what I hate when they resequence at the end to show you all the stuff that happened that you didn't see on screen? I'm trying to remember which movies are like that. Uh, uh, Sadly, the one that pops up in my head is Wild Things. I can't believe I watched that piece of shit. But uh, (laughs) I think um, Soderbergh had one. I watched a sort of a crime movie where at the end there's a five minute montage of things that weren't on the screen. And when you're like, well, guess what? The characters Mm -hmm. were doing this in the background. Like, how the fuck would I know that?
0: Whereas in this movie again, they show you everything. Yeah. They're not withholding the information from you. Your brain is just interpreting it to mean something when it actually means something else. So when they do those slight, like going back in time, he's like, well, wait a second. Like, they were having a discussion. Like, oh, no, they actually weren't. I just filled in the blanks when they actually were not, that wasn't what was happening.
1: Yeah, that was my favorite part on watching it, knowing what was, quote, yeah, again, quote, unquote, really happening. It was fascinating. I, uh, mm-hmm. I found each of those little interactions uh, r- riveting. Uh, you know, yeah. I wanted to see if they would break or make a mistake in the camera work or the interaction with the characters or some of the uh, background stuff. And, and it's perfect because I was like, yeah. I know what's happening and I still believe, my brain's still fighting. I'm like, no, they're sitting there. They're looking at each other and you're like, oh, yeah, are yeah. they? Yeah, it's great.
0: Yeah. I, 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 think, I think the other big thing is that this is actually also about something. This is about loss and grief and actually I think fear and courage. I think it has some really interesting things to say about all those.
2: You haven't left your bedroom in a week and a half because you saw a mouse. What do you know about courage?
0: I'm so glad we rewatched this. This is probably the, mm, I'm going to say the fourth time I've probably seen this movie in my life, I think. But something I definitely want to keep revisiting because I had, I had a great time. So let's see this so that we can actually get into spoilers and talk about this more fully. Let's do some background information about The Sixth Sense. So The Sixth Sense was released on August 6th, 1999. And a bunch of movies came out that day. So there was the updated Thomas Crown Affair oh, directed yeah. by John McTiernan, written by Leslie Dixon and Kurt Wimmer, starring Pierce Brosnan, Renee Russo, and Dennis Leary. No. There is also two other movies that we have talked about on the show were released on this same day. The first was Mystery Men, directed by Kinka Usher, written by Bob Burton and Neil Cuthbert, starring Hank Azaria, Janine Garofalo, William H. Macy, Greg Kinnear, Jeffrey Rush and Ben Stiller. And then the third was The Iron Giant, directed by Brad Bird, written by Brad Bird and Tim McCanleys, starring Vin Diesel, Eli Marenthal. Jennifer Aniston and Harry Connick Jr. So this was a stuffed day for things to come out on. Yeah, this is
1: the thing that broke those other two movies in half.
0: Oh yeah, there's a reason why those other movies didn't do as well. It's because this was just a juggernaut. So it is critically acclaimed. It's currently rated 8.1 on IMDb, 64 on Metacritic, 86% based on 158 critics over on Rotten Tomatoes, And the users of Rotten Tomatoes, that's 1,036,664 of them, have it at 90%. It's available on DVD or Blu-ray, and you can buy or rent it on iTunes. It is not available on our favorite application, Stars. What's up with that, Stars? Come
1: on, Stars. We're
0: going to such a roll with that one.
1: We don't need your sponsorship money anymore. You've failed (laughs) us no we do need uh, to sponsor money please, please please call us and, back. Uh, thank, yeah, call us thank back. you
0: for your six dollar app and your quality <laughs> streaming platform uh its budget was 40 million dollars it opened to 26 million dollars and if i remember correctly i just want to point this out i think this was on like the documentary that was part of the vhs that was released uh that happened after the movie was over uh this could also be like what they said i, I don't know but It's one of the few movies who who made more money on its second weekend than on its first weekend. Because the vast majority of movies drop at least 30% in its second weekend. Um, But domestically, it would go on to make $293 million. Internationally, it would make another $379 million, bringing it up to a total of $672 million. With inflation, this movie made $1.04 billion, is what this would have made.
1: I just want to bring up again, not out of bitterness at all. What was that Julia Roberts movie that was made for sixty million dollars? Runaway. That bride? That was Runaway Bride. Just leave it at that.
2: Sounds pretty bitter to me.
0: I, <laughs> I'm just bringing that up as a point of point of information. information. Uh, this was the second highest grossing film of 1999.
1: Was uh, was it Star Wars Episode One? Yeah. The Phantom oh yeah, Ace? yeah.
0: Would made like nine hundred and seventy something million dollars. Its plot description on IMDb is a boy who communicates with spirits seeks the help of a disheartened child psychologist. A part of me, I, I get like the majority of people know that already. A part of me hates the fact that they spoil that that mm. that because the movie actually does not tell you that until about 25 minutes into the movie that that's what the thing is that he is seeing ghosts. Yeah. That's in the trailer. It's like literally in the trailer. I know that they say that but still.
1: I would have preferred if they said disemboweled child psychiatrist right
0: (laughs) yeah yeah well it's true uh it stars Bruce Willis as Malcolm Crow Haley Joel Osment as Cole Sear and Tony Collette as Lynn Sear I know we've already kind of discussed them a little bit but anything you want to say about those actors
1: no uh hypothetically I may have been uh cleaning my house instead of researching anything for this uh, how dare you Yeah. yeah you know priorities
0: bruce willis i mean has had an extensive career i mean he in the early 90s was still on moonlighting i think on television yeah uh, but
1: uh no it's in the 80s and then die it hard? may have been the late yeah, 80s yeah, yeah. yeah
0: anyways die hard is like the big thing the greatest like, christmas movie would,
1: of all time
0: but love die hard think die hard is great but been in a bunch of other things i mean uh armageddon of course he would have been in by this already what's what's hilarious about Bruce Willis? Like, yeah, a lot of his movies I don't think are are very good, but the ones that are great are, like, phenomenal. Like, it seems like he vastly goes either way. I think why he's so good in, like, The Fifth Element or, like, this movie where there's fantastical things going off is that he is so low-key and so, like, mumbly, everyday dude, like, dad guy that it makes the the, the fantastical that goes around him even more so because he's just like oh, i'm regular guy dude
2: regular guy dude is the spec script time writing for cbs right now
1: i i mean it, that's why i love die hard so much because it came out in i mean mm-hmm. this is a famous thing but it came out in the era of the schwarzenegger stallone superhero yeah. uh, male yeah. and he gets his ass whipped at every moment in that thing it's more about perseverance than the everyday cop
0: Beat all bloody, yeah. like bruised Although, I mean, and
1: beaten. He jumped out into an elevator shaft, so he's not—he's not, he's not me. Well, I would have just. Uh... I mean, the,
0: the unfortunate part about that is that, like, by the by the end of the Die Hard franchise, and I'm well. including like four, five, and six, or is there only five? No, the six is that he becomes that superhero, unfortunately, like he becomes the guy who can like do anything and never die, uh, which is unfortunate because that is what the core of Die Hard was for me is like real guy getting peed up, but still continuing to go on.
1: I was just thinking it's an interesting parallel to uh, Tom Hanks uh, that we talked about uh, needing an Oscar for P-Face because they kind of. Well,
0: I mean, we haven't actually talked about that movie yet, Dave. That's a that might be next week that we're. What do we live stream? We did, yeah. But we did these out of order. So. Oh, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If that if that was to happen, that why way, would I'm just I know
1: saying, what, Why did we? Oh, shit. Well, well, we're still talking about Blair Witch, so now you got me all twisted up.
2: You're both such professionals.
1: All right. Well, then why don't we say it this way? Uh, presuming we're going to talk about Tom Hanks, it is yeah. interesting that they both uh, have uh, similar beginnings with this sort of comedic beats. And then you see uh, one of them evolve into uh, a multifaceted dramatic comedy and somewhat action actor who can, you know, win Oscars potentially for any acting uh, position he's in. For example, should we watch him ever pee? He probably deserves an Oscar for the kind of face he could make. Whereas Bruce Willis, uh, not to bag him personally, but you can see there's a there's a limit.
0: But he knows what that limit is too like Does he's not he, trying to like he asks for a lot of money these himself. days yeah
1: he he, he writes himself <laughs> out of a lot of uh casting
0: but it's not yeah, but it's not like he's being like cast me and cast away. I'm gonna be as far um, as we know.
1: Uh, we don't know. We don't know who he's what he's auditioning for. But um,
0: just imagining him though in like an English drama just like kills me to think awesome. about Bruce Willis trying yeah. to do that.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know that comedy bit shows. I think that's what makes him the everyman. He's got a little bit of that uh, cartoonishness about him. But you're right. There's mm-hmm. I I used to think it was an intentional deadpan understated thing. I think that's just who he is. It feels mm-hmm. like.
0: Um, and then Haley Joel Osment, I mean, uh, had like this really cool career going up. I mean, we, I think we mentioned already was the young Forrest Gump. He was the young Forrest Gump, not the young Forrest Gump. He was Forrest Gump's child in, in that movie. He uh, was in this movie. He started AI, AI, uh, which I love that movie, except for the last 20 minutes. But that's a phenomenal movie. Was in some other like high profile things and has cont- continued to work. Like if you go into his IMDb, it's not like he doesn't still appear and stuff, but. I personally, I don't think I've seen him in a movie in 15 years. Like, I I can't even tell you something that I've seen him in as an adult.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to remember why I know what he looks like as an adult. But he was in, it was either a TV show as a teacher or a dad or like, Mm -hmm. yeah, like some kind of indie, I don't know if it was, not I Heart Huckabees, but something like that where it was, you know, almost like an art indie uh, movie. Uh, And it wasn't that he's bad. It's just hard to separate because he still has, um, you know, child face. Which I it's so judgmental, but it's true. He looks yeah. almost exactly the same.
0: Uh, except with a beard.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't. I, I don't think he had a beard in the role. But oh, I in was, that one, yeah. okay.
0: Yeah. He has a beard now. The last time I thought. I wish
1: I could of. grow a beard. I would have a beard.
0: I, I had a girlfriend beard in in high school, but then we have Tony Collette, who I am like the biggest Tony Collette fan. Love her. This is probably the first thing I saw her in, but the last couple of years she has been like knocking it out of the park. Of uh, being in stuff like *Knives Out*, she was in um, oh gosh, that horror film.
1: I don't watch horror. Yeah, I'm above it. I know. <laughs> I'm too good for horror, so.
0: Well, the guy who directed *Midsummer* did like a film the year before, and I cannot remember what the heck that movie is called. But she was phenomenal in that. There's like this, literally, a woman losing her mind, and I mean it, like losing her mind. Uh, she's so good, and she can go back and forth between being like comedic and. Uh, dramatic, and everything in between. So I, the world should love Tony Collette way more than I think it already does. Um, and then, written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, who just to paint you a picture, had already written and directed the movies Praying for Anger and Wide Awake. Do you know either of those movies? Uh, no. I've not seen either of them. I just know that one of them... <laughs> uh, someone explained the plot to one of these before. And I can't remember which one it is, but it's uh, it has Rosie O'Donnell and a kid in it. And the kid is suing God or something like that. It's some wild tale. Anyways, one of those is that's what it, the plot who won? is about. Uh, who won? Audiences. In the same year as Success came out, he wrote the film Stuart Little. Oh. It's this little fun fact. Uh, but then this would skyrocket him after this movie made so much money. He would then follow us up with Unbreakable, which I am a fan of. I like Unbreakable. Signs, which is, I think, 75% a good movie. Uh, The Village, which I actively hated, um, watching in the theaters. Lady in the Water, which I did not watch. And The Happening, which is considered one of the worst movies of all time. He then made two other disasters, which was The Last Airbender, which had like the less said about that movie, the better. Go and watch the cartoon, because it's vastly uh, superior. And then he came back with After Earth, which was also a pretty big box office and critical disaster.
1: After, is that the one with Will and Jaden?
0: Yeah, Will and Jaden. Oh, I didn't know that
1: was an M. Night Shyamalan movie. That makes sense. It
0: was. Uh. I think what happened, like, from The Last Airbender onward, he kind of has now gone away with trying to write twists, and I think that might be a a benefit. That being said, he returned with The Visit, which was a horror film that was actually very well-reviewed. Like, a lot of people liked that movie. Uh, and then he recently made Split in Glass, and is currently filming the film Old. Have you seen the movie Split at all?
1: No, I. It's been on my watch list. Uh, okay, but I have. Do you
0: know? Do you know the big thing in that movie? The
1: big thing, as in, um, what's his face? What's revealed at the end of that movie? Yeah, like the like. Skizzles? Do you know what the twist? Is? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, I didn't know that, ah. and that was not marketed right. for that film when it came out. And so when I was listening to another film podcast. They were like, you need to go and see this film, and we're not going to tell you what, what happens at the end. We're going to talk around it, but like, go and watch this. And then I watched them like, what? And like, like that blew my mind, too. Um, unfortunately, Glass, the follow-up kind of sequel to that movie is not good. Um. <laughs> anyways, <laughs> just saying. <All>
1: right. Judgmental. <laughs> that's, that's, that's fine. Yeah, that's why you're here. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm, you I'm, I'm a fan.
0: I, I'm a fan in general. I think that he... May have gotten so much success so quickly, even though he had made a couple of films beforehand, that he felt compelled, like I said, to just write twists rather than writing good movies. I, That's my feeling.
1: I'll throw this out there. I saw this part because I had to turn it off because it got a little too personal, but there was hmm. a YouTube video asking why Hilary Swank no longer is capable of making good movies. And I wonder if hmm. this similar thing is true. It's a bit of a lightning in the bottle theory yeah. where, uh, this event happened. It it like yeah, six hundred and whatever million dollars. So we have this assumption that this guy's gonna be the greatest film director. The next generation of Kubrick.
0: Well, I, I think, yeah, it's almost like the next generation of um, Tarantino almost, who yeah. would became like a household name for a very specific type of movie and could generate box office.
1: And then it didn't happen.
0: So there, there that is kind of our background information on on that. Let's get back into talking about The Sixth Sense. And yes, from this point on, we're going to be oh, we're revealing stuff it. that happened. Yeah. I Suckers. mean, spoiling this 21 year old movie, I should point out. So I think the time has well and truly passed for people to be surprised by this. I, I want to start there. Like, I want to know back in 1999 when that first was revealed to you versus now, does it hit differently now? Or, or how, what are your feelings on the twist? I should just be clear of bruce willis actually being a ghost for the majority of this film
2: oh i totally didn't get that
1: we do to do it i missed it
0: yeah this is actually a prequel to the movie ghost so (laughs) that's why there's so much pottery in it no i so much pottery (laughs) Uh, they're just like just covered in pottery the entire time
1: you know i I will say this which i think the only so i loved uh, Watching it again, knowing that he is—I suppose you can say—there n- but not really there—the final reveal actually fell flat for me because by then mm. I had uh, started thinking Bruce Willis is not actually a particularly good actor. It's not that he's bad in this movie, but compared to Haley Joel and to Tony Collette and right, uh, you no, know, I agree. With that. Th- yeah, yeah. what's she's kind of not famous, but that British actress who's his wife—I mean, she's fantastic in it—and. Uh, he starts getting overshadowed uh, by the end where I, uh, I mean, even uh, Misha Barton is that gossip girl or whatever, when she's puking herself. And I'm just like, that's incredible. Uh,
0: she was in the O.C. All oh, right, right, O.C.
1: Uh, some, mo- some show I didn't like that Helen loves. And I am, um, you know, even that, right? You're watching, it's so visceral and she's actually like disgustingly yeah. good in it. So all of the character actors are great. And by the end, uh, when it comes to the, the moment, that tender moment where he's saying goodbye, I was like, I don't care. Like, just, just, just roll credits. You know, I get it. I got it.
0: <laughs> uh, just ascend to heaven already. God.
1: Um, I will kind of disagree with you. I mean, I don't know if this movie, as it's shot, works without him being a ghost. I mean, that's the whole tension, especially rewatching it. No, no, uh, yeah. But I think what you mean is... I mean, that's what
0: it's leading up to. I think more to the point of what I'm trying to say there is that the movie doesn't hinge on that, on that fact. Technically, you could have revealed that fact at the beginning and it still would have been resonant because the true story of this movie is Tony Collette and Haley Joel Osment reconnecting with one another. Like, that's really what the base of this movie is. And the um, Bruce Willis character and his wife is like bookends to me. Like, it's like there at the beginning and the end to wrap everything up. But the main point in the uh, rest of that is Haley Joel Osment coming to terms with what his power is and. Figuring out what to do.
1: I also think that undercurrent of that age old idea of a ghost and purgatory and having unfinished business is fascinating.
0: Do you know where that comes from? Historically, by any chance? No, I, I don't remember. Because historically, it has because it was definitely out before this movie came out. That idea that ghosts were really around for unfinished business. Oh yeah, that's. So I don't know if that's a Dickensian old. thing or, or what. But
1: no, I, I mean, I, I was my first thought was Dante, but I I don't know um, I don't know I've never researched it. Mm-hmm. I just assume it's like all of the great uh, things like holding your breath in graveyards and all that kind of show uh, whatever um, their uh, sources originally. But,
0: uh... Whatever it is, and again, I, I guess I don't know, like the deep uh, history of ghost fiction. But for me, at least, this is the one time where that concept gets put out, and the ghosts are not there just to scare the people, right? In a lot of those stories, it's ghosts are there. A uh, protagonist finally figures out it's a ghost, and it's like, okay, what is their unfinished business, and let me go and figure that out and do it. And here, it's like, ghosts are here, okay, we're going to deal with that by just going and asking them, hey, what do I need to do to help you out? That That's a little bit of a different uh, take on on that story, where it's them going out and, and lending out that hand, rather than being scared, running away, figuring it out, and then it kind of deals with itself.
1: Yeah, and I think that there are great moral uh, suggestions there about the balance and the unfinished business and all this kind of stuff, living the right life. It is interesting that the one depiction of that close circle is a murder mystery in in two minutes. Yeah, I you know. And speaking of kind of like not the scare, I mean, with the exception of the abused uh, wife in the kitchen, the ghosts are generally depicted as uh, horror, like gory, broken, yeah. disgusting murder people. But they do are, are depicted in in a sort of uh, almost an empathetic way, where they're they're shown to be suffering and needing help uh, in some way, which I. Uh, I liked better than the other horror movie uh, shticks. of the whole point is to make you wet yourself.
2: I like my humans wet.
1: I thought it was actually creepier than watching that other garbage movie we watched. I have a funny story about that, so I don't know what the sequence of
0: release is. No, we, we, last week we watched The Blair Witch. Okay.
1: So at the uh, elevator at my psychiatrist's place for social distancing, mm-hmm. they're only allowed three people in the elevator, but they put footprints uh, mm-hmm. to show... And they all faced towards the corner of the elevators. And I got in the elevator and two women were actually sitting there staring at the shit. corner. <laughs> Holy I shit. I almost took a picture and then I thought, like, to send to you. And I was like, I don't know. Uh, it feels like a bit of, uh, even as a photographer, I was like, it feels a little bit of an invasion of privacy to watch these two women uh, look away from the horror See? of my company in the elevator. You
0: might say, you might say that the Blair Witch is still culturally irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> um but but i think you're right. i think that the the ghosts around him are meant to be horrific and, and terrifying and we can definitely put ourselves inside like this 7-year-old boy who's just trying to live his life and is also being bullied at school and has to contend with that and you know trying to deal with his mom and i mean this is maybe a recurring theme that you're going to hear from me and especially having lived through 2020 my thought watching this movie now in this year is like once again it is a movie that maybe we didn't learn enough from, and maybe I'm asking too much from my films, but it's like the wrap up of this movie is like, let's be kind and, and and reach out to somebody and help them rather than be terrified and push them away. So when we're confronted with terror or something that makes us uncomfortable, our initial response is yes, to run away or to uh, push uh, away from us rather than approaching and being like, how can I help you? What do you need from me? And I mean, like, I'm not doing that either. I'm just saying, isn't it an interesting way to to approach that problem?
1: We'd be better at doing that if stars would call us back and and give us more money. No, uh,
0: yeah, I, th- <laughs>
1: I think uh,
0: it's then I could then I could help people from my high rise apartment. I
1: like uh, from the penthouse. I think that's counter. I agree with you, and I think that's counterbalanced also by the reflection of how cruel humanity is. Mm-hmm. You know, all of those. Broken souls who either die violently or through some type of malice or um, suffering—they show real events, you know, like the court courtyard hanging of uh, of people. You know, if we were going to watch a movie that involved corporal punishment next, uh, you know, this concept of hanging people inside a judiciary building is fascinating. I mean, they weren't talking about. This uh, idea of a ghost because they're a witch and they have evil intent. These are, whether they're innocent Real or not, people. it's just, yeah, it's about the sort of visceral acts that human beings are capable of. The abused wife who's uh, self-harming, like that shit's, it's dark, but it, it's not scare horror because you have that thought like, this is really, this is stuff that really happens. Have I acknowledged it? And then Haley Joel Osmond becomes that figure where the moment he acknowledges it, he can find some piece, like you said, in, in an action that, uh, in his in his world, uh, he can directly resolve some of these issues. It is weird to think what the rest of his life will be.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I want to be very clear. I do not want a sequel to this movie, like, in any fashion. I don't want a sequel to this movie. But it is it, it, an interesting, I don't know, exercise to kind of write that movie in your head. Because, A... There's not really money in, like, solving ghost stories in your spare time. As we saw in right? Whoopi Goldberg's
1: not doing that great.
0: So make some pottery, I guess, on the side. Uh, No, like, so what does he do? I could foresee him becoming a child psychologist, like the Bruce Willis character eventually, and doing this while he can. My other thought is that he goes and tries to find... Other people like him because he is not the first. We're led to believe that Johnny Wahlberg was also he's such a
1: Marvel guy. So he's going to assemble a team of superheroes that uh, all have. No, no, no. I'm <laughs>
0: just saying so that he he knows what's going on and he knows what how to help them, right. right? So he can go and go through that. But
1: and the and the apocalypse.
2: Hey, the apocalypse is my thing.
1: Uh, I think the seventh sense is probably uh, virtual sex suits. You know, when you, you I get... thought that was
0: called virtuosity. <laughs>
1: I think, uh, I think you're right. I mean, I, I, I hope, I, unless you're hearing the grapevine that they're actually talking about no, sequeling I, it.
0: Maybe, who knows? Like as, as M. Night is likes to do, sometimes he likes to film things and just, uh, release them without letting them know how they intersect with other stories. So maybe that's what old is about. Maybe old is a, is a, seven, a Sixth Sense sequel that. Yeah. I was going to quickly, quickly ask you, do you think, cause
1: the rumor, cause I didn't watch split or glass, but they're supposed to be in the same universe as, uh, as Unbreakable, and it just makes me wonder... Spoiler,
0: spoiler, spoiler.
1: If they're all supposed to be all together.
0: The thing is that... That's what makes Split so special to me, is that it was not marketed that way. It was like, Mm -hmm. this is a new horror film by M. Night, and then at the very, very, very end, I mean, the very, very end... Oh, it's actually in the movie. Oh, I don't know. I
1: thought it was fan, fan, fan service.
0: It pans over, and there's something that happens that is very explicitly tells you.
1: Well, way to spoil that, Kyle.
0: Well. Jerk. I asked you. (laughs) Um... So the other big thing, too, is that what I noticed by looking at old reviews from this movie, and even nowadays, if you go on to, like, letterboxed and that sort of thing, I see this time and time again in the write-ups, which is like, Hilly Joel Osment, so good as a kid actor. Hilly Joel Osment, so good of a kid's performance. And I straight up don't think you need that qualifier. I think this is a phenomenal performance, and he also happens to be a kid. I don't think you have to put in that fact that he's a child. Uh, to to your point he holds his own with tony collette oh like, yeah those things are my favorite in the movie with it's just him and her and the part that made me cry is the end with the car yeah with them talking about it. like literally tears coming out of my eyes when it's like talking about like grandma. how grandma oh, comes and visits what? me and blah 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 and like all this type of stuff and it's like geez louise like that's a real conversation and those are two real people having that conversation the way that tony collette breaks down by the way Oof. is like yeah what? I, uh, and, then, and then you go back to the uh, uh, Bruce Willis character, like kind of monotone with his wife. Yeah. But, I mean, but that's those, what I mean, though, right? It's <laughs> like
1: that, I don't know the the part with Tony Collette. When you're in the editing room, you got. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure they had a debate. They must have been looking yeah. and be like, "This is a better way to finish this movie," but it yeah. fucks yeah. up the drama. The yeah, of the reveal. Yeah. I, you know, the other dimension of this is watching it as a parent. I think. Yeah. Yeah, cuz Emerson is around I mean I'm sure Haley Joel Osment at this point is probably 10 but um yeah, you probably. know there the parallel of their developmental stage makes this very difficult to watch too. I mean from the parent child relationship to having to deal with a kid that you know kids say things before they understand the sort of impact and structure of language so sometimes like he'll wake up and he'll talk about how his tummy hurts so much and i'm just like oh my god you have covid and uh, and then it turns out like he just has to take a shit or he's hungry or something so yeah, yeah, yeah um you know when it starts and i'm just imagining if i had a child who seemed so schizophrenic or whatever like just so beyond human comprehension you know with the scrawling and the pictures of murders and yeah. shit and then watching tony Collette, whether it's scripted or just how she deals with that as an actress uh It's incredible her her brave mom face and supporting her son, and then immediately before or after seeing her just distraught. And you know, as you know, like I'm not a single parent, but I can't even imagine the additional structure uh, stress. Uh, And so, adding that dramatic element, whether again it was intentional by design by script, it really got me in that. And um, again, hypothetically, if we had watched this not right now, uh, but yesterday, I was. Finished the movie. I was driving with Helen. And as I was describing, because she refused to watch the movie, uh, the last scene, I started crying again. Because it's just hard to even describe and kind of quote the script at that point without getting completely in that moment. Uh,
0: Yeah. Like, it's just, it's so beautiful. And like you say, it's that lightning in the bottle where all these people kind of came together at the perfect moment. Because I think I kept returning to Shyamalan movies wanting that emotion brought back to me. And I could get the mood and the director because I think he's actually a very good uh, director as far as like framing things goes and using shadow and uh, other things expertly. It's getting those performances out of the, the people that he works with that I kept wanting to come back to. I wonder
1: if because he's so successful, his casting in the production companies had trouble. I mean, it's hard to work, I imagine, with Mel Gibson, right? It's hard. Right, to. I mean, yeah. I I like uh, what's the alien lady's name? Uh
0: Tilda Swinton. Tilda, Tilda Swinton.
1: Swinton. Um, I mean, she's a talent, but she's so eccentric mm-hmm. that uh, I imagine even in real life. Um, so you get these big name or very unique people to play these really weird roles. Uh, it must be very difficult as a director to just put your own stamp and direction, because these are very structured concepts. Like the Sixth Sense yeah. doesn't work if you have any anything loose in it; it it'll fall flat very very quickly. Anyways, to your original point, was there a point? Uh, Haley Joel Osment. In the movie, again, parlance is a revelation, he's so good in everything he does from, from the fear to the you know, what I really liked was the stressed laughing when he's just kind of finding Bruce Willis amusing, but you still see like he plays that middle round. I mean, maybe that's yeah. just his face, but he's, he's great in that. And then to find out that he didn't win an Oscar because of Michael Caine. not that we've watched: Not that we've watched Spider that movie Spurs, either, but.
0: I I, I doubt on. very much that Michael Caine puts a better performance in. But maybe we'll be proven yeah, wrong if I, and when we but, we see that. But just
1: the context. I mean, this is like a maybe an eight or ten year old kid who full range right mm-hmm. navigates such an intricate and intellectual movie on a blockbuster scale. What do you need? What do you need, Kyle, to win an Oscar? What does it take, man? This is your world. What does it take?
0: Uh, Harvey Weinstein. Oh God. That's basically probably what yeah, it's the actual reason. I'm sorry reason. I brought
1: that up because there might be some gross history there too. So we'll leave that alone. Uh, no.
0: Two last things. Number one, I do want to talk about the, the, the theme that I saw prevalent in this movie. And I think that what it eventually brings up is that crossing the threshold between like fear and courage, courage being, of course, like you are still fearful, but you do the thing anyways, because whether you think it's the right thing to do or you're you know, trying to push past that for the greater good, the greater husband, of course, stays fearful for the most of this movie until Bruce Willis helps him cross that threshold and, and and approach that. And which allows him to open up to his mother. And I think that that is the thing with Bruce Willis too. Subtly is like, he's fearful of his marriage and stuff going away, not realizing that he's actually already passed away <laughs> and then coming with the courage, like, okay, I'm going to let you go because it's better to let you go. And I can move on rather than, you know forcing you to feel regretful for the entire rest of your life so i don't know i think that there's some really powerful stuff there just as a just as a theme i'll just
1: quickly uh point my finger at you in the patriarchal sense he's not letting her go
2: it was really snap
1: he's letting go asshole no yeah. uh it's, it suddenly <laughs> reminded me of the scene in fight club right just let go I don't know if it's the 90s, I think this is just a general sort of post-World War II existentialist sort of physio- philosophical idea of just, uh, just coming to terms with the shit that's in front of you. And uh, yeah. yeah, stop running to fear, stop running to rote. Don't just go through your life in a cycle where as long as I do X, Y, and Z, everything will be fine, because it's not. You got to go and dig into it. You try not to become a space monkey and set the world on fire. But in this case, uh, becoming an exorcist uh, uh, seems to work for him. He seems more peaceful as an exorcist than as a bully child. Uh, just a quick note on parenting, too. Uh, in the modern day, those two little fuckers that lock him in
0: that closet oh.
1: would go to jail. That scene.
0: Well, I was going to say, oh like, talk about like the fact that their parents don't read them stand out. In their, I'm oh, like, my God. I, I wanted I mean, to push them down the I stairs. I was freaking <laughs> out, man.
1: And it wasn't even PC. Cl- I was just sitting there I'm like, how? how is this a thing? Like, There are bullies. I mean, they're not even laughing. That was an interesting yeah. part. Is like they're just as frightened as soon as it happens. Yeah. Uh, but, oh, my God, Kyle. Was, I mean, that's another Oscar-winning moment. The uh, petrified, I mean, I- unless he's claustrophobic mm-hmm. and they actually locked him in a you know, method acting. The shrill yeah. shrieking. Uh, that was scarier than Blair Witch. That part uh, yeah. just gave me the, the real heebs, man. The heebs and the jeebs.
0: We need to discuss that. There are actually some really funny moments that happen in this movie. I think low key Bruce Willis actually does really good at comedy, sure. Yeah, because again he does he's like so deadpan. But literally my absolute favorite joke is when Bruce Willis does that like little magic trick thing with like the penny, and then Helie Johnson just does a beat and it's like I didn't know you were funny. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's what that scene is I think that's so funny. And then super relevant to today, the, the cat's joke that they make in this movie is phenomenal. I thought you haven't seen. The musical Cats. It's like, what's Cats? Oh, my God. I, now everyone knows what Cats is. But back then, I knew what Cats was. I knew it was awful. So, that was pretty funny, too.
1: And, yeah, and made 20, it more 20
0: years to understand that joke for the wider population. Maybe
1: that's why they made the movie, uh, right? Because they were like, yeah. it's a 20-year anniversary of Sixth Sense. Let's remind yeah, people let's why it. this joke still, still works.
0: Relevant. <laughs>
2: We're done here.
0: Um, all right. So the machine has told us that we need to wrap up. So I guess we should ask that age-old question that we often ask on this show. Do you think that this holds up and is it culturally relevant still?
1: Yeah, I think it holds up. I um I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think that it avoids all of those little things like requiring bygone technologies or you know, all this kind of stuff that that would alter a person's context of how this movie works. I think the concept of, uh, you know, ghosts and exorcism is timeless. Uh, I think the twist still works. So if, if you have, like, I've been seeing this thing on YouTube with uh, first time kids have watched, I don't know, like a queen performance or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think if you're...
0: Which, I, by the way, I don't believe it. No, they're all total go bullshit. On. But like, if yeah. you're
1: 15, like if Emerson, when Emerson turns, let's say, however old he is that he can handle a movie like this, he's going to flip out. And I think, even if we have v r everything, whatever the future of filmmaking is, yeah, yeah, you put something like this on, and I think it holds great, great impact um
0: i feel I still think it actually looks great,' yeah. like talking about the nineties look like some of the movies we've gone back to it's like, ooh, this looks old, like it looks dated, and I don't really feel it for this movie. I don't know why, necessarily, maybe it's just because they've crushed the black so much, so it just looks. Uh, Contrast like a lot of movies do nowadays kind of do anyways, but I just think it doesn't feel old like some of the movies we've watched from 1999. I think
1: it's also because like uh, I, I kind of brought up they don't rely on uh, technology visual pieces of technology. That's true. Like you don't spend time. Uh, I mean, there's one scene on the street where he chases off a car, but the car itself is not important, so you don't uh, get fixated that this is whatever like a 1999 or like you know right. uh, or like in like we watched Ghost Dog and they have the flip out DVD. Uh, CD players, yeah, yeah. you know, like little points like that where you're like, oh, what is this, right? There's no rotary phones. There's no, um, you know, everything seems to happen within the dialogue and the interactions of mm-hmm. people, uh, which makes the movie more timeless. Uh, um, and I, I don't know, I, maybe I'm old manning it, but I think everybody, uh, if you haven't seen it, I know, what the fuck's wrong with you? And just go watch it. Uh, and I think forever, you know, future generations of young people will find great entertainment and if they're nerds like us pick at and pick at this there's a lot of great layers in this so i think it holds up uh, very fantastically well yeah
0: even in another 20 years i think people are still going to be talking about the sixth sense and i don't know if i can say that for our, a lot of the other movies that we've watched this year there's gonna be a few of those ones that continue through time uh like there always are, but this is one of them. That I think it's gonna be high up there. I think
1: that's why at the beginning when we talked about this genre defining, there's three movies that are on earth, like Matrix, Fight Club, Sixth Sense. And this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, as much as we liked so many of the movies of the ninety nine, I mean they they're timeless. You could watch the Matrix now with a, the same thing, right? With like a kid yeah. and they'll still get blown away. This is that this is that movie, I think. It's just uh it's great. This is why M Knight will always get at least sixty million, forty million dollars to make movies. You know, it could be bombs the rest of his life, and he will always get forty million dollars as a minimum budget. So yeah, he, he should remake. Not uh, he should remake Runaway Bride, right? And that movie <laughs> the, the, needed a twist. The twist man. is that
0: the audience was dead the entire time. <laughs> I should just point out to everyone here. Everyone here, I should just point out to everyone that if you want to give us your impressions of this movie or anything that we talk about, you can definitely send us an email at. Kyle and Dave, VS the machine at gmail.com. You can also hit us up either on our Instagram or Twitter, which is at KDVSTM. And if you want to check out our entire ratings that we've been doing this entire season, you can go to our Letterboxd page, which is letterboxed.com slash KDVSTM, which is what we're about to do now, because Dave, we need to rate this movie out of five. So out of five total points, What would you give this movie?
1: I think the movie is a five, but I'm, I'm leaning towards going down to a 4.5 just because by the end I was, uh, struggling with Bruce. I, uh, I actually did feel like the final reveal scene kind of brought it down a little bit. I, Mm. I just, yeah, I just wiped my eyes, you know, and my nose crying about the, uh, Tony Collette, Haley Joel Osment scene. And, uh, and then to watch Bruce Willis sort of spend five minutes um, bump, bumping things in a room.
2: Where I come from, that's called third
1: base. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll have to settle for a 4.5. Like 4.75, I don't know. 4.9. Um, but
0: uh, <laughs> it was so close. Yeah. I am giving it a 5 out of 5. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I don't mind saying that. Uh, I still think it holds up even with that Bruce Willis stuff at the end. That being said, Dave... That does mean that we have a bit of a tie. And hilariously, (laughs) uh, the other two it's tied with. uh, You rated 5 and I rated 4.5. So we have to figure this out. So it's going to be going into our top five no matter what. But the two films that it's tied with are Fight Club and Galaxy Quest. So for you, is this above Fight Club, under Fight Club, or under both of them? Under both Fight Club and Galaxy Quest.
1: I would watch... Fight Club, and Galaxy Quest again before I watch Sixth Sense. Hmm. Um, this is probably why I gave it 4.5. So I think I would put those other two movies ahead of it personally. Uh, where do you fall?
0: Well, I would actually rate it above both of those two technically. I gave 4.5 to both of them, so I like it just a little bit better. That being said, let's split the difference here then in that case. Let's leave Fight Club above it, and we'll put Sixth Sense in between uh, these two. Sandwich up. Um, just to get yeah. Yeah, it the cream-filled
1: center it. of that Oreo cookie.
0: That means that entering our list at the number four position is the Sixth Sense. Can't wait to see what we're reviewing here next. So let's uh, find that out here right now. I'm going to push this little button. It's going to be a
1: shock. We haven't talked yeah. about this. yet.
0: Oh, yeah. We have definitely not talked about this yet. Definitely have not talked about this one yet. And I have a feeling, just because I'm a nerd about this sort of type of thing, I think the machine is making us go through... The best picture nominees here of 1999, because Sixth Sense was nominated, and this film, The Green Mile, Ooh. is also something that was nominated. When's the last time you watched The Green Mile, Dave? It's been a while.
1: <laughs> I I can't remember much about this movie, so uh, it'll be great to uh, revisit it. Yeah, in the sequence in which we planned uh, on watching these films.
0: That's right. Yeah. Yes, definitely. It's been been a while since I've seen. Any, uh, the, 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 this performance. So I'm, it's a long movie though, Dave. It's three hours. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. know if it's going to be able to justify its length or not, but I guess we'll find out next week.
1: Yeah. You know, that, uh, that episode will be particularly long waiting for us to watch it while we live stream and watch this movie together. Three hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's going to be a that's big right.
0: one. I guess, uh, you know, it is pretty cold in here. Let me, I actually am going to make some soup here for you. Just, uh, just, uh, don't look at the special ingredient I like to. Or into this.
1: I'm ready to communicate with you now.
2: I like my humans wet.